0: Welcome back to our summary series where we are going over Internal Family Systems Therapy, second edition by Richard Schwartz and Martha Sweezy. We are now on chapter seven, which is entitled Setting the Table for Treatment. And I'm clinical psychologist and IFS therapist, Peter Melinowski walking you through that. So we're just going to jump right in and talk about what does it mean to get ready to do the work, what does it mean to enter into the therapeutic work with a client? At the beginning of a therapy with a client, our job is to accept the client's parts. It's about working with our language in a way that's intelligible and appreciated by the client's parts, Helping the client to understand IFS concepts and be flexible about accepting the many different ways in which clients engage with their inner worlds. That's straight out of the, the first page of this chapter. We want to work in the mode of the client's parts. We want to work in a way that the client's parts can understand and can appreciate. Not imposing a particular language on the client, but working with what comes naturally and readily to the client's parts who is appropriate for IFS therapy? And the short answer to that is almost everybody. There are a few exceptions though that Dick and Martha want us to know about. And the first is if a client is highly polarized. So there's a lot of conflict among the client's parts and we have very limited time. So for example, they may only have a few sessions before they move or there's restrictions governing the number of sessions you can provide because of your agency, things like that. So we want to be thoughtful about unpacking of a client system if there's very limited time and that system in the client is highly polarized. There's a lot of conflict among their parts. Secondly, when the client's external circumstances is, are dangerous, when there's a lot of entrenched polarizations in their family environment, their external family environment, or among their roommates, when things aren't safe we, in their external environment, we want to focus on those concerns first. You know, especially if there's little room for vulnerability, especially if there is physical risks to the person, we want to be really careful about working in those kinds of circumstances. The third, is if something about the client system, something about one of the client's parts is really triggering to the therapist. If the therapist is finding themselves slipping into blends with their own parts or just finding there's a lot of reactivity, possibly polarizations or a lot of pull to uh, rescue the client or or other things like that, where there's just a way that this client just really gets under the therapist's skin and is really activating, then we want to be cautious. The, the therapist needs to be cautious because there's there's going to be times where that client is going to rely on the therapist's self-energy and rely on the, on the therapist's self. And we want to make sure that the therapist is reasonably able to provide that in the Therapeutic encounter. So, those are three situations. One, when there's limited time and high polarizations within the client. Second, when there is a lot of danger in the client's external environment, when things just aren't safe because of their living situation. And the third, if the client's system is really triggering to the therapist system, because we want to be able to rely on the therapist system to provide self energy and a frame in which the therapy can happen that is safe. Sometimes there's questions about IFS with highly disturbed clients. In other words, folks that may be really dissociative, for example, or very volatile in terms of their behaviors, lots of acting out in various ways. And the idea of like talking about parts, I mean, isn't that just going to exacerbate you know, that fragmentation, isn't it, isn't it going to put a focus on that? Don't we want there to be a, a greater unity in the client? And the concerns are not that we're discussing parts. And the concerns are not that we're working with a multiple model of mind. You know, the mind is both unitary and multiple. The issue are, is the polarizations. The issue is the blending. And so if we work with those things, things calm down really, really quickly. When managers are disrespected, when there's this push or agenda on the part of the therapist to get to the exiles, there all can be all kinds of internal intense inner conflict and, and infighting that happens within a client that uh, creates the fragmentation. So, so much of this is managed by the therapeutic approach. Dick and Martha really recommend level one training. I clearly Uh, second that. I think it's really important, really vital in terms of being able to work through these things. And again, there's no substitute for the client, for the therapist really being in self. It helps so, so much. So IFS with children and with adolescents uh, often goes really easy, you know, easier because If the children have not been socialized away from a sense of multiplicity of mind, it comes pretty naturally to them. My eight-year-old daughter, very familiar with parts, comes very naturally to her. Whereas people who are in highly polarized situations may have parts that don't want other parts to be known, seen, heard, and so forth. So the whole idea of entertaining the possibility that there may be other parts could be really difficult. IFS with groups. This is really a new area. Not a lot has been done with this. Uh, To my knowledge, at least in 2021, right here at the beginning of 2021, there hasn't been anything published on IFS and Groups. Uh, But there are clinicians that are doing groups, including me. I I do an interpersonal process group, a Yalom-based group that brings in all kinds of uh, parts language. And my clients in that group work with each other and their parts. They're actually exploring the interpersonal field and recognizing when there are polarizations within the groups and so forth. Another way to do this that Dick and Martha point out is the clinician can work with one client within the group while the others are witnessing how do we introduce the idea of parts to clients? How do we how do we get started? You know, clients at the beginning of therapy have managers that are going to be watching us. They're going to be assessing to see whether it's safe to do this kind of work, and that's not unique to IFS, that's any therapy, any therapy modality. And so, we want to make sure that we are engaging with those managers and that we are working in a way that helps them to feel safe that helps them to relax to help that helps them to create space for the work and so language is really really important and there's two major ways that we shift to parts language the first is to restate the client's presenting issues by locating the client's thoughts feelings and sensations In parts. In fact, you can even refer to the thoughts, feelings, impulses, desires, whatever's troubling the client as a part initially. And the second is to inquire about the client's inner dialogue. In other words, what's happening inside their self talk and how that self talk plays out for them and also about their behavior towards others because that'll help to identify what's going on in terms of parts. So, you know, we want to, at the beginning here, when we're looking at restating the problem in terms of parts, you know, how receptive is the client system? How receptive particularly are the managers in terms of thinking about this in terms of parts? Sometimes clients will give you spontaneously parts language. They'll say a part of me is really concerned about continuing this relationship with my fiance." And a part of me just feels like I can't live without her. You might hear something like that. So, they've naturally gone into that part's language where they might say one side of me, you know, believes X, but another side of me believes Y. So, you can listen for those and and really key in on the client's language. Use the language that they're offering you spontaneously sometimes just this simple act of translating the client's language into parts language is like really freeing. Because it conveys the attitude that not all of me is upset with my spouse. Not all of me desires to act out in some way against my boss. It's a part of me. It's not all of me. So that makes it easier because the global identification Uh, is diminished, right? And we can actually work with this as a part and that there are other parts too that feel differently about the spouse or about the boss. Parts language also helps to orient the therapist. It helps us to be able to connect with the whole process of working with parts and that can be really helpful for us as therapists to be able to, to continually go back and anchor ourselves in that language. All right, so people who are seeking therapy, what what kinds of things are going on inside in their relationships among parts? Most people come to therapy and they're in distress. They're in the grip of some kind of inner conflict. There's some kind of inner polarization among parts. There's negative feelings that are coming out of that, really a lot of discomfort, fear, anger, uh, some kind of maladaptive guilt, shame. Parts are caught up in these polarizations and parts are caught up in these extreme roles and they're hurt, frightened, and often the excels are frozen in the past. And so they're trying hard to navigate life, but there is some rigidity in the system and something's not working for the client that brings them to the step of seeking help. So what does assessment look like in IFS? What are we as clinicians doing in that first appointment with the client? How are we working to understand the inner world of the client? So there's basically two questions that Dick and Martha offer us as clinicians to be considering. First, we want to know if the symptomatic part is a protector or an exile. We want to understand if that part's a protector, which would be a manager or a firefighter, or an exile. And secondly, we want to check out how much access the client has to self-energy, because that is going to really inform how we relate with the client and how we, what kind of therapeutic approach we're taking with the client. So let's start with that first question. We want to know if the presenting issue is driven by a part That's a protector or an exile. And so, how do we do that? Dick and Martha Wright, let's begin with that first question, right? This is the first question is whether or not the symptomatic part is a protector or an exile. And they just ask, right? And the way we ask is by saying, what do you do for the client? How are you trying to help the client, right? Because these parts have good intentions. And if that part endorses that it is, in fact, doing a job, that it's got a job that it's carrying out, here that's really informative. And there's some things we know right away. One is that that part is a protector, either a manager or a firefighter. Managers motivated by fear to inhibit other parts, especially the intensity of other parts experience that they fear would overwhelm. And managers are usually polarized with at least one other protector, at least one other manager, or possibly a firefighter. And that polarization leads them to intensify their behaviors. Managers are unlikely to change the way that they function. They're unlikely to change their roles unless the exiles that they protect are able to leave the past, unburden, and be healed. They're not going to leave their post unless what they're guarding against, especially the sense of overwhelm, is diminished. Firefighters, on the other hand, they are reactive rather than proactive. They work really hard to respond when the system is in crisis. They really want to distract from the intensity of the experience of the exiles. So here's a few things. If the response to the question What do you do for the client is some clear role that the part owns, then we know it's a protector. A part with a job is a protector, either a manager or a firefighter. And if it's a manager, it's going to be focusing on inhibiting feelings, particularly feelings that it thinks are dangerous, especially shame, fear, sadness, guilt, pain and anger. Those are the really common ones. Could also be desires though. Desires that seem illicit and it could be impulses. Impulses that seem really destructive to that manager. So it's not just emotions. It's also attitudes, impulses, desires, other types of internal experience that are threatening. So managers are going to focus on inhibiting those responses Firefighters are going to focus on distracting from negative feelings once they're already there, once they're already dangerously near, surfacing, because an exile is broken free, is now blending with the self, and there's a crisis happening. Both managers and firefighters are motivated by fear, and both of them tend to polarize with at least one other protective part. And when they polarize with one other protective part, manager to manager, manager to firefighter, firefighter to firefighter, once there's a polarization there, both of the parts in that polarization tend to escalate. They tend to ramp up their activities, right? They tend to intensify the ways that they're protecting, the ways that they're acting in order to try to re-stabilize the system to come back to some kind of homeostasis, Neither managers nor firefighters can really heal the injuries of the exiles. They can't help the exiles unburden. They can't actually heal. We need the self in order to do that. They are focused on oftentimes maintaining enough functionality to just make it through another day or make it through another year. And the other thing is that managers and firefighters, these protectors, they're not going to change in any fundamental permanent way unless the injured part that those protectors are protecting is helped to leave the past and to let go of burdens. In other words, we need actually to have deep fundamental healing. We need to have the exiles being noticed, witnessed, and helping them to go through this fundamental process of change so that the protectors don't have to expend all this energy watchfully, you know, guarding over them. So, let's say you ask that question as a clinician, what do you do for the client? And it's not at all clear that that part has a job, right? You might actually be working with an exile then. Exiles are the parts that got hurt and banished and that continue to feel really, really lonely, really, really worthless, sometimes really, really bad, evil, unacceptable, unloved. These parts, these exiles want to be rescued. They want to be redeemed and they are entirely able to overwhelm the client if they break free. They can overwhelm the self with feelings, with desires, with the intensity of their experience, with memories, and they tend to provoke very extreme reactions from protectors. Right? That can be dissociation, can be self harm. You can have a you can have a firefighter that comes up with self harm, suicide. All of that intensity, you know, is reactive to what the XLS are bringing to the surface. XLS are also capable of not overwhelming the client if they believe that the client's system is oriented now toward helping them rather than just suppressing them. They can become extremely cooperative. They can become very cooperative and very collaborative within a system. And that's even before they're unburdened. That's even before they've been fully heard and been able to release their burdens. They can cooperate. And since emotional overwhelm is the foremost fear of protectors, If those exiles are willing to not overwhelm, if they're willing to hold what they're carrying, if they're willing to hold their burden so that this important work can happen in a way that's measured and that's paced, it can be great freedom within the system to be able to do the underlying work. So, when the exile agrees not to overwhelm, protectors are much more likely to cooperate then we've got a collaborative process happening within the system and it opens the way for witnessing and for unburdening, which is really ultimately what IFS therapy is about is getting to those exiles and helping them to unburden, right? So first question, is the part doing a job or not? Because that helps with us to understand whether the part's a protector or whether the part's an exile, The second question is how much access to self does this client have? How much self-energy is free in the system? How blended is the client? It's all about like what is the relationship between the client's parts and the client's self? And how do we gauge that? Well, we notice can the client speak for her parts rather than from them? In other words, does the clients self have enough separation from parts, unblended enough to be able to discuss how those parts are doing, right? To be able to connect with those parts or does the client speak in such a way that it's very clear that one part or multiple parts are in control? So, how does that sound? Well, if a part is totally blended with our client and the client is saying things like, I'm an absolute worthless wretch. I I don't deserve to live. Okay, that's an extreme example, but it it's common, right, where a part is really blended with the client. But if the client is instead saying, you know, there are times where I just really feel worthless. I feel wretched. And I don't know why I feel that way. I, it's, it's a mystery to me because I have a lot of good things going in my life. And so now that you can see the client is actually able to reflect and to speak that experience from that part and be curious about like what actually is going on inside. All right. So as we're, as we're asking these questions about how unblended is the client, we're really sort of checking out who is running this client's life. We want to start to understand who are the major players in the day-to-day life of the client, right? Sometimes those could be exiles, right? With intensity of emotion coming up really regularly, the systems are, are really struggling to maintain any kind of homeostasis or continuity over time, see a lot of impulsivity, a lot of reactivity. And so, individuals who are primarily driven by exiles are going to have lives that look fairly chaotic. When firefighters are in charge, you're going to see also a lot of reactivity to situations, uh, a lot of distraction from emotional pain, a real lack of awareness or concern about consequences. Right? When exiles or firefighters are in the driver's seat, if they are really who are driving the bus for the client system, you're going to see a lot of short term time horizons. In contrast, when managers are in charge and they are blended with the self and guiding the system, you're going to see a, a longer time horizon. Managers care about consequences. You will see managers using more inhibitory types of mechanisms to stabilize the system. They're going to be trying to control more. They're going to be trying to damp down or clamp down on exiles and sometimes firefighters as well. So what are we trying to do in IFS therapy? What are the goals of IFS therapy? Well, first to liberate parts from extreme roles so that they can move on to better roles, more life-giving roles, roles that really contribute to the system in these really positive ways. Second, to restore the trust of parts in the leadership of the self, right? So that the self can take on its natural role of governing the the client system. And the third is reharmonizing the system of parts so that they get to know each other and form productive collaboration. So that's straight out of the text. What does that mean? That's so that parts get along. Right? So that parts can actually enjoy each other's company and can work in really harmonious ways, that parts can help each other, infused with this self energy, with direction and guidance from the self, so that parts, which are indispensable in our systems, we need our parts, that they can actually work together in these beautiful ways. We're also really looking at the function of time. In the last 20 years, Last 30 years, trauma theorists and trauma therapists have really understood that so much of trauma has to do with where are we in time? Are we caught back in time? Are we flashing back? Are we experiencing some revivification of a memory? So time becomes a focus in the therapy as well. Protectors dance around in time and they use time in order to try to carry out their efforts to control or manage difficult situations within the client's self. They can use the past. They can use the future in order to try to exert some kind of control. Managers especially will do this. Right? They may be trying to inhibit or steer you know, the, the, the client in a particular direction, threats about the future, regrets about the past. And so if a client is living in the future or living in the past, you know they're blended with a part. Right? If they're really caught up in that, you know they're blended with a part. Excels are frozen in the past. They are caught in some moment in time in the past and living in that moment. What we want for our clients instead is for them to be alert and available in the present, to really live in the present moment, to be experiencing the present moment, because it's the only moment they actually possess, the present is the only moment that we actually possess. You can go back to the past if you need to. You can go into the future imaginatively, you know, and, and project into the future as part of just ordinary planning of the, you know, of the day or, or thinking ahead in ways that are healthy and that are good, but not burdened with unnecessary constraints and that we can actually be comfortable in the present. It's really a critical thing to be comfortable in the present. All right, so how do we do this? If we look at a brief summary of IFS treatment, we start by just kind of inquiring, what brings you to therapy? Why are we here? And then the client can respond to that. And then we ask the client, "You know, what can we talk about parts? Okay, remember, we want clients to be able to use their own words. We're starting to reframe things in terms of parts or restate the client's presenting issue in terms of parts. We remember that parts fear each other. Managers fear exiles. And managers can fear firefighters as well. Then we look for a target part, usually a manager, and we'll begin to kind of understand that part's experience. Sometimes we focus on a polarity between two parts. Usually, at least one of those will be a manager part. And if an exile comes up first, you know, we ask that exile to let the client self work with the protectors first, negotiate some space before we come back to the exile, right? Because if we start working with the exile without the permission of the protectors, it's likely to lead to a kind of backlash within the client system. We look to get permission from all other parts in order to work with the target part. Again, usually a manager early in therapy. We ask the target part about its job. We want to ask the target part about its fears, fears about other parts, fears about this whole process of therapy, fears about what would happen if there is significant change in the system. We offer to introduce the target part to the client self, often through that target part unblending or through other parts unblending to allow access between the target part and the self. And then if all of that seems to be going well, we ask permission to help the exile. Now, that can happen in one session or that could take decades, depending on how like intense the client's system is in terms of its protective functions. If the target part agrees that we can work with the exile, we see if any other parts object and we go through the same steps with those parts. And if we're working with an exile, if we have permission to work with an exile, We look to foster a relationship between the exile and the self, who should at this point be relatively unblended with considerable self-energy. The exile tells the self what it needs. It shares what it's, its experience was. The self witnesses what happened that burdened that exile. And the self listens and is with the exile. Again, not changing anything yet, just just really listening, and that in and of itself is so powerful for exiles. Then the exile lets its burdens go, and we'll talk about that in greater depth in other places. The exile invites in the qualities that it will need going forward to replace the burdens that it was formerly carrying, and the self checks back with the protectors and invites them to find new ways to, to be in the system, new roles within the system. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to liberate parts, we're trying to rebalance systems by releasing constraints. We're not bringing in all these new tools in the toolbox, you know, these new techniques, these new grounding, we're not bringing we're not bringing in grounding techniques where we are essentially trying to suppress a part that we have aligned ourselves as a therapist with some protector to kind of banish from from the scene right we're telling that protector we're telling that exile that it's too scary too dangerous that we can't actually work with it that it needs to be quiet and go away to its room that kind of thing we're not doing that we're actually connecting with the parts relating with them and it's so calming when parts can do that when they can connect with the client self Or if need be to connect with the therapist self, at least in the short run, to be able to calm down. Space really opens up when we can do that. So, great. So, with that, we will wrap it for Chapter 7. And we look forward to getting back together in Chapter 8, which is about insight and direct access.